All right, let's do this. Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table, especially our next incredible guest. So grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the Sports Deli. On this day in 1992, apartheid in South Africa was abolished. And today, 30 years later, on St. Patrick's Day, we welcome Christian Okoye to the Sports Deli Podcast. We are so honored that the Nigerian nightmare who hails to us from Anugu, Nigeria, has joined us today. And today, you will hear the rest of the story. He played soccer until he was 17 and was a sprinter and thrower on his high school track and field team. He played his college football at little-known Azusa Pacific University in Southern California, where he was also a seven-time champion in the shot put, discus, and the hammer throw, and was actually on a track and field scholarship while at Azusa, not a football scholarship. Even though he only played football for three years, because he was omitted from his country's track and field team for the Olympics in 1984, He decided to focus on football, and he was rewarded by being the 35th pick in the 1987 draft by the Kansas City Chiefs because of his downhill, powerful, straight-ahead style of running and ability to break tackles. He played for the Kansas City Chiefs from 1987 to 1992 and had injuries not derailed him. He was headed for the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. He was the NFL rushing champ in 1989. First team All-Pro that same year and made two Pro Bowl appearances in 1989 and 1981, along with three playoff appearances. He shares a birthday with Madonna and was born the same year as Dennis Rodman, Wayne Gretzky, Eddie Murphy, Michael J. Fox, Princess Diana, George Clooney, Meg Ryan, Billy Ray Cyrus, George Lopez, Lawrence Fishburne, and the 44th President of the United States, President Barack Obama. He's a girl dad like me, as well as a boy dad. And in 1990, he founded the Christian Okoye Foundation to help underprivileged children assume their role in society through education and sports. He was inducted into the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame, and he's in the California Sports Hall of Fame. You can find him on Instagram at Christian Okoye. Okoye is O-K-O-Y-E. At Christian Okoye 35, the number 35 where he has nearly 35,000 followers, and on Twitter, at Christian Okoye, where he has nearly 11,000 followers, and on his website, at ChristianOkoye.com. Christian, truly honored. I'm glad we were able to finally work things out. Uh, I know you're in the middle of doing a book, and you're busy playing golf. Truly excited. I remember watching you play back in the day, and the way that you had your shoulder pads was different than anyone that I ever remember like the neck part was up higher than the shoulder pads and man, you, you would just punish, punish defenders. <laughs> I loved it. Oh man. So welcome to the sports deli podcast where everyone deserves a seat at the table, especially the Nigerian night. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, my Michigan Wolverines won their first round game. Oh, love March madness. So we had Carl Mecklenburg on. I'll ask you this first question. Cause he, he was uh, an interesting person to have on. And, you know, he talked about how he doesn't think he could play nowadays just because of the way that uh, both you and he played on opposite sides of the ball, uh, you know, and, and, and how training camp used to be and, you know, the need for the physicality 
even though that led to a lot of issues with, uh, you know, head trauma and things like that. But what, what are your feelings about how the game is now, um, you know, versus when you grew up, you know, in Nigeria? Well, you have to understand, I grew up in Nigeria, so I favor the way the game is today. Right. You know what I'm saying? I, uh, I wish it was this way when I was playing. Yeah. <laughs> I could have played for 15 years. Yep. You see? So uh, people like Carl played football right from when he was little bitty, you know? So he was used to that kind of football, that kind of violence. Yeah. And uh, I was not. Um, I played the way I played because that's the only way I saw it fit. And uh, the, today, I, I really admire the athletes today. I, I admire the players today because, uh, you know, they got it good. You know, no matter who we speak to, I've, you know, I had Rick Barry on the show, Hall of Famer, you know, uh, from the NBA and, and other people that laid the foundation for people like you, you know, Doug Williams and other people. Bill Curry was on the show, played for Vince Lombardi. And, you know, they, they talk about, you know, the NFL, but back then in so many different ways, not just charter flights, you know, and being pampered and those types of things and, and the different styles of play, like you just talked about, you know, with Carl versus what it is now, uh, you know, do you think that the players now really have an appreciation of what it was like back then? I don't think they do. (laughs) I don't think they do because, uh, you know, the money they're making today kind of overshadowed some some stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think some of them do, you know. Some of them do. Um, I really appreciated one time that I was in Tennessee for the Chiefs game against the Titans, and uh, standing over there, I never met Travis Kelsey before, mm. and uh, he was doing his drill, warming up with the team and stuff, and he left the field and ran towards me just to shake my hand and give me a hug and say, very great to see you, nice to meet you and stuff. And that's the respect, you know? And that respect, we gave it to those who came before us. You know, people like, uh, you know, Eric Dickerson played before me and I played with him and uh, I look up to him. He's a friend of mine, Jim Brown, I know him real well. I looked up to him and I still worship him till today. He's one of the guys that I watched his film when I played. Uh, Walter Payton, when he was alive, I worshiped him, you know, because those are the guys that I learned the game from. You know, Jim, uh, Jim Taylor, the former running back for Green Bay Packers. I mean, the first time I met him, I was like a kid in the candy store. You know, um, I don't see that going on today with football players today. You know, Um, I don't know what it is, but I can just attribute it to the amount of money they are making. You know, it overshadows some stuff. I, when I played, I I tore my biceps and I I didn't even know it was torn. I played the whole season. You know, it was discovered in the uh, postseason physical. Today, if you tear your bicep, you're gone for the year, right. <laughs> you know? So that's just the few differences I, I can uh, pinpoint. You know, it's interesting because in baseball, we know our history, maybe because we call it America's pastime, even though it's not. Uh, it's as racist as a sport as there is. And mm. basketball, we know our history. And, and it's emphasized. And yeah. so I think the NFL has a lot of issues. 
and, and that's one of them. Uh, and normally I don't talk about this so early, but I'm going to talk about it now because I want to transition from Jim Brown, you know, and he's been in a long list of activists uh, in the NFL and in tennis, whether it's Arthur Ashe, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, and, and many, many others, and Colin, uh, most recently in the NFL. And I just want to ask you, um, because I'm on a think tank with Hugh Jackson called Enough. And so the objective is to put pressure on television and franchises, because you know as well as I do that that along with social media and with lawyers is the only way that you're going to get things changed, whether it's with the commanders or the Cleveland Guardians in baseball, you know, that's the way that things get get changed. Um, And so the NFL did a lot of lip service. The owners run the league and Roger Goodell is just a puppet. Uh, yes. And I think he's done as much as he, he can. But yes. are you frustrated that all we see is end racism on the back of the end zones five years after Colin took a knee and got white balled from the <laughs> NFL? And, and, and then there's stuff on the back of the helmets. And I'm going to have a follow-up question about some of the white quarterbacks. But, but what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on where the direction of the NFL is going? You know, um, they are gradually getting better, but not, they are not halfway there. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're not halfway there. And we talk about it all the time. Uh, when I get together with my friends, even last night, we talked about it. Um, uh, it's about racism, about being greedy, um, uh, all of that, all of that. You know, uh, NFL seemed to be taking a backseat to, you know, uh, even hockey, baseball, basketball. You know, NFL is the last one that hasn't caught up yet. And they make the most money. People don't realize how much money NFL owners make. And the veterans don't even have health insurance. Right. You know, and this is the most violence, violent game out there. Yeah. You know, and the veterans don't even have health insurance. They bank on when he turns 65, he can get Medicare, you know, and government can take care of you, <laughs> you know, instead of just setting out a budget that says, okay, this is going to take care of yeah, um, the health insurances for, for the retired players. And that's what the players were asking for in the beginning. That's all. Don't pay us more. Just, you know, cover our injuries that we sustain when we're playing, when we're promoting your business. You see, so, but. So Christian, yeah, it's not happened. And, and, you know, I've I've heard Mark Cuban talk about this, that he can't really move the needle, even though he's very wealthy in the the space of basketball. And he's had conversations with NFL owners. But but the thing that I'll say is there are strength in numbers. Would you agree? Yes, I agree. Sometimes. And so you saw the women of the WNBA which is probably the least popular sport of all the major sports, including, yeah. including MMA. And they changed two elections in Georgia with a t-shirt and they forced an owner out of the Atlanta dream. And so I'll say this, and I've been super, and I'm a Michigan fan and I was a Tom Brady fan for a long time until 2017. And I'm not going to just put it on him, but I don't understand for the life of me how they're so tone deaf and I'm talking in specifically about Tom, Eli, 
Peyton, and Blondie. I don't understand how those four guys have not done something to put pressure on the NFL and the owners to say we're not playing and gotten more players to strike with them to say we're not going to tolerate this anymore. I just I, I, I just can't with those platforms. Tom, <laughs> among all the other issues I have with Tom, he retires on the first day of Black History Month. And then he unretires on uh, Selection Sunday. You know, besides some of the other tone, and I know you've taken pictures, you're friends with Peyton. Like, I get this stuff. But this, to me, this is bigger than football. And I mm-hmm. don't understand how white allies, I am nobody. And I have been talking about this stuff for two, yeah. two and a half seasons, you know, of this show. I had Jim Trotter on. Uh, I just had Drew Henson on who played professional baseball and basketball and football with, with uh, Tom at Michigan. And he said, the only person that's ever asked that question that he's heard of that I just asked is his wife who's white. Why is nobody putting pressure on those four guys to do more and say, we're not playing unless things get changed. Well, um, (laughs) that question needs to be placed on the players association. Players Association are not representing all players. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I know. And you have to understand how things are structured. Players Association, they don't have to do anything. They get money from advertisers. Uh, all these NFL sponsors also sponsor Players Association. So they get money on that side that doesn't affect players. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I went to I went to a doctor uh, yesterday just to go get checked with all my surgeries and stuff, and uh, and we were talking. This doctor I've known him for a long time. He did a back surgery on me like in 1994, and um, and then did another back surgery two year, two years ago. I went there to go get checked up, and uh, he and I were just talking. We're friends, and he says. You know, I was on NFL panel, medical panel or whatever. And uh, I was only there for, I think, two years, he says. He says, and then they didn't invite me back. They didn't invite me back because I asked questions. <laughs> and then I said, who didn't invite you back? He said, well, it's more on Players Association. Can you believe that? Our mm-hmm. own people. If you talk to Eric, Eric will tell you. Eric and I will talk about it. our own people are against us. So if your own people are against you, what do you think NFL owners are going to do? So I understand that protecting the brand of the current players. I understand that. But I'm talking about how have you, I'm not putting the pressure on you, but I'm just saying someone like you mm-hmm. who's friends with Peyton and said, you got your show, you got your Monday night thing going on. Like, come on, man. Like, like we got to do more like lock arms come Mm -hmm. together and say the nfl is going to do what they're going to do the players association is going to do what they're going to do but we're going to pay a million dollars every week raise the money i don't care and we're going to talk about systemic racism ourselves if the league's not going to do something about it like i i just like tom makes hundreds of millions of dollars yeah he does and he's got a maga hat in his locker 
And he, and you know, that's what Jim Trotter said, fine, but just stay out of the way. If you're not going to be like, like Tom is a, a part of the coalition. Wow. Congratulations, Tom, behind closed doors. You're, you're being such an ally. Yeah. And he doesn't have to. And I, I, I've been critical of Michael Jordan and Tiger yeah. Woods, you know, mm -hmm. for similar things, but come on, man, this is a white issue. Like, what are you all doing? Like for real, what are you four guys doing? Yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things when they're content, you know, they don't know, they don't worry about others. Uh, it happens, and we all have our own faults, you know. That is their fault, right? But there. after five and years, like said, I understood in the beginning when Colin yeah. kneeled and no one knew what was going on. But after five yeah. years, another yeah, Amir Colin, Locke was just killed. Another guy yeah. was just killed sleeping. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, what you're saying right here, we talk about all the time, you know, so and I hear you, I hear you. And that's got to be a way that the owners can be, sh you know, shaken up a little bit. Yeah, it's so called stoppage of play. It's called a stoppage yeah. of play. That's stoppage the way. of play, yeah. Um, you know, but it, it, it's, it has to start with NFL Players Association. They are the ones who can, whoever is the director will have to stand up somehow and, and act like they're gonna protect the whole league, even the white players, because if things are not right, nobody's happy. the white players. But you listen, know. listen, back in the day, right? If you spoke out, you were, man, you were white balled. Everybody yes. was white balled. Uh, sponsorships, your your second contract, your third contract, and now when you speak out, it's more encouraged. But for some reason, in the NFL, the most popular sport in America, there is and the people that speak out: J.J. Redick, Rex Chapman. You know, mm -hmm. some some players, some owners, sort of. Uh, it's 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 ignored because the playoffs were so good last year. And the Super Bowl was so good because of a no-look pass. And so we're back to where, where we started again. Anyways, I know I'm preaching. I just, I just don't understand. Because if Tom and Blondie and Peyton and Eli, they said, I don't care what anyone else is doing. We're going to start a movement. And you're either on board with us or not. That they would find a way. And they would go play in the other league if the NFL didn't support them. Go play in the other league. Yeah. If the NFL is not going to do the right thing and be on the right side of history. There's another league going on right now. Go play over there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I hear you. I hear you. And like I said, we, we discuss this all the time and uh, I, we can't just find a way to hold some of those top players, you know, accountable, you know, do something. Um, we, I was involved in a strike in 87, my rookie year, and, uh, uh, we didn't accomplish much. We didn't accomplish much. We, we should have accomplished a whole lot more, but we gave in and we gave in too early. And these, uh, NFL owners back then, all of them were wealthy. They don't care how much money they're going to lose because they are wealthy other than football. Now, some of these owners hold um their their teams are like uh, san diego charges the owners are the team is their business you know so if they lose about half a year's paycheck 
it's going to hurt some, you know, but they always find a way to kind of cover it up because they cannot pass it on. They will start paying, they stop paying some of the employees that work and stuff, which is, you know, my Cuban, as you mentioned, I like that guy, you know, before I didn't really, you know, I'm not interested in, but throughout this time, he announced he's going to keep paying all the workers in the, in the arena. And he did, yeah. which is remarkable. Not too many organizations did that. And that's how NFL owners should be doing. You know, this is what I have in mind. If you have as much money as these guys have, you know, there's no, no reason why you will play in a city where when you go to the inner cities, you see kids that don't eat, that don't dress up, don't go to school. And the homeless. And the homeless. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got you to gotta be able to do something to help the city that you're making billions of money from. I don't care how you make it. I don't care if sponsors from, you know, from the hills pay you that money and the, and the inner city don't. You know, but you have the ability to go down there and at least organize. Build a park. You know, go and uh, pay some people to paint the schools, buy computers for the schools, you know. And these are people that support you, buy your jerseys and wear your jerseys all the time. They pay your bills. How about offering your stadium for the homeless and to feed people during the off season? There's eight days a year you use your stadium. How about the other 357, if my math is correct, days a year? How about you offer your stadiums like they did during the pandemic to, to yeah. feed the homeless and, and to help people. It's yeah, just, it's just remarkable. That, just remarkable. That, that's gotta be a way where they can help, you know, the needy. You know, I see, you know, NFL um, chosen charity, you know, every time something is done, they said this money is going to this organization, you know, and it goes to some organization, not the city that you are, Absolutely. Planning. People that pay you. People that buy all the jerseys that you sell. That's how part of your money. You know? Um, that's got to be a way, but it's not being done. They do it in a small way, but uh, you got to do it in a big way. At least spend, if you spend half a million a year in the inner city, a year, that would change the whole, you know, the whole city, <laughs> you know? So, but it's not being done. And uh, I hope one day a, 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 a team owner will start doing something like that and maybe the others can follow, but I don't see it happening anytime soon, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I've, uh, we've watched Colin Kaepernick's uh, case for a long time and, you know, here's a guy that went to the Super Bowl and all of a sudden he's out of the league, you know, just like that, you know, because he took a knee and, and the guy that told him to take a knee came out and explained the reason why he took a knee, that he instructed him to take a knee. A, white, sitting a down, white military man, a white yeah, military man. Because sitting down is like disrespecting the flag. If you take a knee, you're not disrespecting the flag. And still... You know, he's being punished, you know, and, because and they think he's uh, not respecting the flag. 
I still talk to people, Christian, today that do not understand that a white military man gave him that advice. Because they want to hear their own narrative, right? Yeah, they're not interested in finding out why. Right. I mean, he can tell them, he can tell it to them many, many times, but they won't listen. You know, they just know exactly what they do. And uh, it's very unfortunate. You know, it's like that, this politics that is happening right now. You know, this, you know, Democrats and Republicans and stuff, you know, I mean, you believe what you believe in and stick with it. You don't want to hear the other side, you know. You don't want to hear the truth. So it's uh, it's happening, but, but gradually, hopefully, you know, I don't see it getting any better any, anytime soon, but I pray that it does. Yeah. So you're from Nigeria, and in the 60s, if my, my history is correct, you guys uh, gained independence from Great Britain. And so you have witnessed, like everybody else, around the world what's going on in Ukraine and we've had a lot of things happen in the last couple of years from the pandemic to the racial reckoning uh, to, to this and what, what, what are your what are your heartfelt thoughts about what's going on right now with this you know I um, I was telling my friends I said um, many Americans are so fortunate you know <laughs> so fortunate America is so fortunate we uh, uh, in this country, nothing affects us as far as war con- is concerned. All this right. suffering that is going on in other countries, we don't know it here. You know, it, everything happens so far away. Um, growing up in Nigeria, I went through war, civil war. So I see what war is like. I saw the ugliness of war. And nobody in this country today has seen that. You know, all they do is they watch TV. They say, wow, it doesn't affect them because it's not in America. It's not one of their brothers or uncles or sisters and being shot at, shot at, you know. Uh, So what's going on over there, you have to feel it by being there. You have to experience it to know how hard, how horrible that war is right now. Because a lot of times, those soldiers coming in from Russia, they're just shooting because they have a license to shoot. You're not going to take them to jail. <laughs> you know? So they see people, they shoot. And uh, destroying buildings and stuff. You know, are you kidding me? You killing know, children. Kidding? Killing innocent children. children. Over 100 kids. Yeah. You look at them. I mean, it's, it's horrible. It's it's horrible, and uh, I tell you, <laughs> not, there's no amount of money America can say, send over there that will help, you know, cover all the loss, all the sorrow, you know, whatever is going on over there. It's there's no amount of money that can that can cover it up. But you know, um, I just hope and pray every day that this war just ends immediately, like tomorrow, just stops. Because everybody in that country is suffering. I don't care who it is. It's affecting them and it's affecting us here in our pocket, which is nothing compared to what they are feeling over there. I remember after 9-11, I watched a lot of human interest stories because I wanted to really be immersed in what it actually was like for people that were directly affected by it. 
And I just saw something this morning about a guy, a dad, a husband, who found out about his wife and two kids being killed on a tweet. He saw the saw that this morning. Saw right, saw the kids in a photograph and knew that his family was was killed because of a a, a bomb or a missile. Yeah. And and his daughter was doing the same thing that my daughter was doing not five days ago in Kansas City, making a an angel in the snow. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I watched that myself. And I was like, man. And I look at the man and I said, wow, He's, he was strong. He was. He didn't know? cry. Aaron Burnett he, was crying. Yeah, he was strong. He was just sitting over there. I'm sure he's still in shock, you know. Um, yeah. oh. He hasn't felt it yet. But can you imagine? Can you imagine no, you're not I around? Can't. Can't. And then you're watching Twitter and you saw your own family lying there on the street. You notice their clothing and the, <laughs> I mean, and he said, these are my kids. And then he started calling his friends and family and said, my kids are lying in the streets. They got shot. Can you go and help them? Can you go and take them? I mean, are you kidding me? Oh. You know, I mean, jeez. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it, you know. Um, all right, let me pivot. Uh, away from those two <laughs> heavy <laughs> subjects. One more, one more question for you, and then we'll get to the rapid fire. So I found this really interesting. Uh, during your time in KC, you obviously played for the late, great Marty Schottenheimer. So he came in as a head coach. Uh, but listen to this, everybody. So, so Bill Cower was your defensive coordinator. Herm Edwards was a scout. Tony Dungy was with the defensive backs. And Bruce Arians was the running backs coach yeah. <laughs> like what a freaking staff and if you look at bruce arians now obviously two years ago won the super bowl and has one of the most diverse staffs in the history of the nfl not just with people of color but women yeah um so you know that maybe gives us some hope that you know the coaches can do some things to make coordinators you know people of color even if the owners aren't hiring head coaches in, in that space but what what was it like being on a staff did you realize at the time that all those people were going to be who they are now amazing you know i didn't realize it but i knew that they can be because i spoke to them at the time and i asked them i said hey if you got an opportunity to coach be a head coach you know to all of them they said yes you know i mean yes um and sure enough <laughs> they did well <laughs> So you don't do Bill Cowell and Bruce Harris is doing a marvelous. He's one of the best coaches in the NFL right now. So, and, uh, and uh, here's the man who is a real coach right there, Bruce Harris. He doesn't give it. He doesn't give it, <laughs> you know. Uh, he doesn't care if you're Tom Brady, this. he'll let you know. <laughs> you know, um, he, no, he don't, he don't care. He will hire anybody he wants. Yep. And, um, you know, you treat everybody the same. His players love him. Yeah. You know, so that's good to know. Well, we need more white allies like that. Uh, yeah. Just a little higher up. And um, hopefully, like you said, uh, things don't take so long to to change. It just doesn't make sense. Like, it just doesn't make sense to have more people from more diverse backgrounds with seats at the table because it makes your product better. So yes. from that standpoint, from a business standpoint, I don't understand why there's so much pushback with women and people of color or minorities in general, Latinos and Latinas, why there's such 
And I know why, because they want to be around the good old boy network, white boy network, and people that they're comfortable with instead of pushing their boundaries because it'll end up making things stronger in the end. Okay, uh, thoughts on uh, Patrick Mahomes going forward? Do you think he can win a couple more rings? I think he can. I, if, he, if he gets help uh, right now, he doesn't have any – he doesn't have much help as far as running, running the ball. Um, yeah, because he, he could end be... up. He could he could end up like uh, like Houdini, right in <laughs> Seattle, and phenomenal top five quarterback, and has no help, and you know decided to go to Denver. Yeah, right, Russell yeah. Wilson. So it could end up being yeah. the same thing as as mind blowing as that would end up being. It could happen. Yeah, it's so simple that uh, AFC Championship game uh, we lost. If he had a running a running game. He wouldn't have lost that game because everything was put in his hands and, and he couldn't do it because they all were expecting him to throw the ball. And, um, you know, they didn't give me the opportunity to throw the ball knowing that we're not running the ball. You think the NFL is doing a better job in the space of mental health since so many more people are speaking out on it? They act like they are getting better, but I, I, I haven't seen many changes yet. Is that because I mean, every uh, team every team doesn't have a sports psychologist and a psychologist and it's not encouraged? It's still, you know, play through injury. Don't don't speak out if you're having mental illness or you're depressed or you're chemically imbalanced. Well, well, it's better today than it was when I was playing. Let, let me just put it that way, because today when I played um, back then, if I had a concussion, nobody would tell me. I won't even know. I get a smelling sauce right. <laughs> and I go back and play. But today you are monitored and you're taken out of the game practices and stuff until your symptoms die down. You know, so that's a huge improvement. You see? So they are that's getting the physical. better. That's the physical though. I'm talking more emotional. That's good. That's amazing. Yeah. But the emotional side of it, right? Especially in the black and brown community. You know, I just saw, I don't know if you saw this, but um, it was with uh, Ryan Clark from ESPN, Channing Crowder, and Freddie Taylor. And he just had uh, Michael Beasley on his podcast. And the way the interview went was just so powerful. They poured into him because they were so incredibly worried about him because of the things that he was sharing about not only his past, but about some of his behavior right now, which scared them. And, you know, as a, you know, fellow black men in the space of professional athletics, of professional sports, you know, they, they let him know that they have a safe space for him to come to not only on the show at any time, but at their own personal homes so that he's not sitting in his house and, having a weak moment and possibly committing suicide. And uh, it was very powerful. And this guy basically was saying, and he sits in his house all day. He doesn't trust anyone. His mom stole from him. You know, these are things that happen and the black and brown community knows better than I do that it's not talked about still, or you're something's wrong with you. And it's just something that we, we need to make sure that we normalize. Right. I've had a number, I've had so many people on the show, professional athletes, that have either attempted suicide, almost died, had depression, especially after leaving their professional endeavors, 
And so we just need to normalize it and make sure everyone knows that they're not alone. Yeah. Well, they have, they have a lot of programs. NFL has programs right now that deals with all that, you know, and um, I know because I get, uh, I get mails all the time um, giving you some uh, guidelines on the dedicated hospitals that you can go to and, and so on and so forth. But um, I still, everybody's still waiting for the day when they will send you a card and say, this is your insurance card. You can go to any doctor. <laughs> you know, uh, that, get, that you want to get treated by. Um, but that doesn't happen yet. But they are trying. Things are getting better than it was when I played, for sure. But it's not there. It's not there. Yeah. I don't think it's like NBA or MLB. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, LT or Marshall Falk? I would say Marshall Falk. Boy, he was, he was crafty. How about uh, Sweetness or Barry Sanders? Woo, Barry Sanders. <laughs> oh, I, I like Sweetness. Yeah, you know, yeah of course. He's a good but man. he's more like you. Sweetness, you know, he was a little bit more downhill and powerful. Yeah, yeah. Barry Sanders is too, but, you know. Yeah, man. Unbelievable. Uh, okay, so Gronk, Antonio, Tony, Travis Kelsey, or George Kittle? Travis Kelsey is my man. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. <laughs> so Marvin Harrison, Jerry Rice, Megatron. Larry Fitzgerald, Steve Largent, or Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice. <laughs> Just stop right yeah. there. Mm -hmm. uh, so Dave Chappelle or Richard Pryor? Richard Pryor. The original. Uh, so wait, Chris Rock or Eddie Murphy? <laughs> Eddie Murphy. <laughs> uh, delirious is one of the funnest things, funniest things I've ever seen yep. in my life. God bless. <laughs> Anita Baker, Whitney, or Beyonce? Oh, gosh. Whitney. Um, I mean, I like them all, but Whitney. Yeah, she was one of a kind. So Patrick Mahomes or Matthew Stafford's no-look passes? Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Come on, now of you got to give Matthew some, some credit for that Super Bowl no-look pass. So that was pretty close. Hey, yeah, that's pretty good. He, pro he, he probably learned it from Mahomes. <laughs> he probably did. Wait, who's <laughs> the best player you ever played against? Woo. Um, I would say Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, LT, you're... Oh man, he yeah. was he was something. He was him a maniac. Him and Mike Singletary, those eyes. Yeah. Um, favorite golfer because I know you love golf. Tiger. Yeah. Did you hear his uh, Hall of Fame comments? I did. Yeah. Wow. Interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Favorite TV show of all time? Oh gosh. <laughs> The uh, the uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, I like the Cosby show back then, yeah. Back then, that was a great show, yeah. Favorite movie, guess who's coming to dinner? <laughs> oh man, that's great. Wait, candy or popcorn at the movies? Popcorn with butter, with butter, yes. Oh, that's phenomenal. Vince Lombardi or Bill Belichick? <laughs> Vince Lombardi, I love it. <laughs> he didn't uh, cheat. Right. And he was an ally in a way that was so ahead of his time. Bill Curry told us he didn't care back then if you were anything that you better treat everyone the right way or you're out of here. I mean, that's right. just amazing back then. And all his players loved him, still love him till today. The ones that I met still talk about him, black and white. They talk about him the same. It's amazing. Where do yeah. you see yourself in five years? 
probably uh, fly my own jet. No, just playing. <laughs> I'm gonna be doing my work with the with my charity, uh, doing yeah. a lot of work. I'm planning, hopefully, to build a school in Nigeria for the kids, mm. and I'll continue to affect young kids out there. Yeah, talk about your foundation because I wanted to finish with that. I um uh, my foundation, which I started working with kids in 1990, uh, and then formed the foundation in 2000. Uh, but uh, we started out doing uh, free clinics in the summertime for those kids who cannot cannot afford to go to paid camps. And uh, uh, now I moved that to, to Nigeria. I hired some folks in Nigeria to work with kids mm. year round, trying to develop them and kind of guide them, teaching them uh, goal setting and mm. focusing on education. And um, so we do that in Nigeria. We raise money here and then we send money back there to pay for all the stuff they do. And uh, the other half, um, I work with the Ontario school district here, kind of, you know, doing the same thing with the kids, go over there and kind of speak to them, doing some free camps for them. And then in Kansas City, uh, during December time, I take the um, at-risk kids, I take them shopping for Christmas. No, you know, man. so uh, those things, uh, they, they make me happy. You know, put smiles on my face when I see those kids happy. Well, you're putting smiles on their face as well. What an amazing story from uh, little known Azusa Pacific University in Southern California on a track and field scholarship and would have uh, most certainly been destined for the Hall of Fame if injuries had not derailed your career, but uh, making such an impact in society. Uh, not only here in, in California, but but in Nigeria, in your home country. Uh, phenomenal to share some time with you. I'm, I'm glad we finally worked it out. Anything I can do for you ever as a connector? I'm not an influencer as of yet, but that's my goal is to do anything I can as an ally, like I said, to help in these spaces that, that need more white people to, to help in these areas. So much love and the utmost respect to you and your journey and, and your new book. Does, does it have a title? Oh, yeah. Not yet. When do we anticipate it being out? Um, I hope it comes out this fall. Yeah, Amazing. During the football season. Yeah, during the football season. Well, uh, yeah. ha have, a, have a great summer. Stay healthy. And, and uh, uh, I know that you're a dad as well. And, and uh, you know, that's yeah. very important to you. Um, and so, uh, like I said, much love and the utmost respect to you and what you've done before and what you continue to do and what you're going to do going forward. So thanks for, for sharing space with us. And like I said, I don't know why people come on my show because no one knows who I am, but it's, it's truly an honor and humbling that people come and share their opinions in our safe space in, in our anti-racist equality podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, continue doing your work. It's All important. Right. I appreciate it. If you could have one person at your dinner table, who would it be? If you didn't know who they, if you didn't know who they were. If I didn't know, oh gosh. One person um, of all time, dead or alive. One, per one person, oh gosh, Muhammad Ali. There it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Muhammad Ali, phenomenal answer. Uh, <laughs> the, the, one of them, the ultimate activist when it comes to social injustice and systemic racism. Just an amazing uh, interview with him. Uh, he was so candid and so generous with his time. Can't thank the Nigerian nightmare enough for coming into the Sports Deli. Thanks for sharing space with us today. We, we truly hoped you enjoyed that amazing interview. Remember everyone, Black Lives Matter. Stop the bullying, stop the Asian hate, contact your local and state politicians for any inequalities for any individual 
or any group that's being marginalized. Also, everyone, we want to raise awareness for those individuals that are currently imprisoned for nonviolent offenses, in particular those with long-term sentences that are disproportionate in particular to those people in the black and brown community. And I want to send a shout out to 40tons.co. 40 Tons is a socially conscious cannabis brand and they're a social enterprise using the regulated cannabis industry to fight injustice, in particular for cannabis prisoners. So check them out again at 40, the number four, the number zero, tons, plural, 40tons.co because what they're doing in the cannabis space and being a socially conscious company is truly incredible and uh, they have my full support and also wanted to remind all of you if you're having a tough time you can always call the suicide prevention lifeline and that number is 800-273-8255 that's 800-273-8255 and they are available 24 7 365 days you can also always check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok, at Mike Hootner. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, Breaking Tea, Sport RX, PSK Collective, City Lokes, and Moolah Kicks, which you can see right here up on the screen. You can search them online at BreakingTea.com, SportRx.com, PSKCollective.com, MoolahKicks.com, and CityLokes.com. And if you'd like to support us at the Sports Deli, we'd love to have you either make a one-time donation or feel free to make a donation monthly, either 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. If you have uh, questions about that, send me an email again to thesportsdeli at gmail.com and I will send you the link on how you can do that. Uh, You can also find it at the bottom of every podcast on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts. Link at the bottom to support the show. Please check out our website at thesportsdelipodcast.com. Make sure that we continue the conversations with regards to three strikes and you're out and mandatory minimums, especially people that are in jail for nonviolent offenses. So those things need to change. And remember, gents and ladies, please remember to do your monthly self-breast examinations. And remember, guys, this afflicts about 1,500 men annually, with about a third of those resulting in death. So we want to make sure that we do our monthly self-breast examinations, both men and women. And guys, remember to do your self-testicular examinations every month as well. Until next time, remember it takes a village. For Dr. J and Coach K... I'm Hootie Hoot. This has been a production of Hootie Hoot Productions. Thank you for joining us in the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Remember, it takes a village. Much love, everybody. Peace.